Hey, peace and blessings to you. My name is Jerry B. I am the Entree Musician and so are you. Welcome to this very special encore edition of the Entree Musician podcast. You know, with the passing of the legendary Tony Bennett about a week and a half ago, I thought it necessary to revisit the conversation I had with super managers Vance Anderson and Ron Moss. Now, these are two men that I hold in the highest esteem as entree musicians. I've interviewed each one of them before separately, but once I had the opportunity to introduce them to each other, <laughs> I jumped at the chance and I, I worked to schedule this conversation, which originally aired on this podcast back in November of 2021. And so, I want you to go back and, and see those original um, podcasts, the ones that I did with them separately, and I'll make sure that you will be able to click on them, uh, obviously, if you're watching this on YouTube. And uh, if you're listening on podcasts, we will make sure that we put the links in the show descriptions. Let me just remind you who these two gentlemen are. Vance Anderson is currently managing the Folk Duel the Whale Pennies, and he spent 20 years as road manager for the iconic Tony Bennett. Vance also spent years on the road co-managing Pat Metheny and working with John McLaughlin, Paco De Lucia, and Al DiMiola, among many other top-notch acts. Vance is not only a dear friend, but really a mentor to all of us who in the entree musician community. His wisdom and his experience allows each of us to grow and thrive in our endeavors, and we are continually grateful to have him on our team. Vance was kind enough to um, endorse my book, The Entree, The Path of the Entree Musician, so I really appreciate him, and uh, he's a great guy. Ron Moss was the executive producer and president of Stretch Records, and Ron was the personal tour and business manager for some of the hottest names in jazz, including Chick Corea, Stan Getz, Gerald Albright, Jeff Lorber, John Patitucci, Eric Marienthal, Dave Weckl, and most currently for Kyle Eastwood. Ron has also managed contemporary artists like Isaac Hayes and Mick Fleetwood. He is the father of the famed actress Elizabeth Moss. And along with Vance, Ron provides personal advice to me. I appreciate that, Ron. Thank you. Which I also share with entree musicians, as I get it from him, entree musicians who are looking for management, uh, which also helps provide insight on what managers are looking for in artists. And I'm grateful to call both of these gentlemen mentors. So let's get into this conversation where you're going to hear wisdom and experience like you've probably never heard it before, not to mention personal stories of two gentlemen who have helped to guide the career of some of the greatest stars in the musical galaxy. Let's go ahead and get into it right now. And peace and blessings to you. My name is Jerry B. 
I am the entree musician and so are you. And so are these two heroes who are sitting to the left and bottom of your screen. I will introduce them as such. They are great people in their own right. And boy, have we had a show before we started this show here. On my left is Ron Moss. And Ron, I've introduced uh, interviewed him twice before here on The Entree Musician. He was none other than the caretaker for, and by caretaker, I mean manager, record company, executive, all of that for Mr. Chick Korea. May he rest in peace. And so Ron shared some incredible stories. And then my friend and fellow Entree Musician mastermind partner, is Vance Anderson, whom you know, we've interviewed Vance before, he's been on the show several times. And Vance's, I don't wanna call it his claim to fame, but his role with making sure that everything that was supposed to happen happened excellently with the iconic Mr. Tony Bennett. This is where Vance comes into play, but also he is managing that super duo, the Whale Pennies right now. So we have a lot of stories to share, but this is going to be a very special entree musician because if you are an artist, we're going to tackle two things. Number one, you need to know what to look for or who to look for in a manager, the principles, the values, the characteristics, and then they will also tell you as managers what they are looking for in artists. So along with these wonderful stories and the memories they're going to share, they're going to give you some valuable advice too. So without further ado, Ron and Vance, what's happening, brothers? <laughs> Good evening. Did you say you went with Tony Bennett? <laughs> I thought I spent 20 years as Tony Bennett's wrote. Oh, man, I love him. Yeah, he's a good man. I didn't know I was that. Can okay. you tell the story, Vance, then how you came? Because we talked about this a couple of years back, but can you oh, refresh boy. us on how you came to work for and work with Tony Bennett? Well, you, you want me to go all the way down the field of uh, of how the Lord worked in my life on that particular you, thing? You, can, you that. can roll with it or you can give us the Cliff Notes version as your... Yeah, long story short. So um, I uh, had just finished a two years touring David Byrne and the Ray Momo band. He had this big Latino band, 18 people on stage, an album, Ray Momo. And uh, we toured it for two years with my wife. My wife was a uh, uh, tour manager and I was production and sound. And uh, she went back to Brazil, where she's from. I stayed in America at the end of the tour. Our visas ran out. I couldn't leave. She couldn't return. I embarked on a very difficult year of trying to find the next move, next thing. And um, I had gone uh, for an interview with Danny Bennett in, uh, in um, Boston uh, for some uh, band that he was managing. Now, who's Danny yeah. Bennett? Is this Tony's brother? This is Tony's son. Tony's son, okay. Danny, Danny Bennett, Tony's son, and, and has managed Tony for 40 years. A brilliant businessman. And um, Danny was managing this band out of Boston. I went to where I lived. I went to see him, uh, had a meeting. Nothing came of it. A year later, I got a phone call from Tony Bennett's office in New York to go down and start working immediately. Mm -hmm. In the interim between that year of, uh, 
of uh, my wife being in Brazil and me being in America, unable to move, for some reason, unable to work, this whole year was uh, very difficult. My mother-in-law uh, called me one day and she said, uh, she was a pastor of a, of, a, of a church in Brazil. She called me one day, she said, I was praying today and the Lord told me that you're gonna work for Tony Bennett. And I'm like, yeah, right, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. So, and she said, no, no, you are. And I said, you know, what, what? There's no job with Tony Bennett, nothing. Every day she would call me and she said, so have you got the job yet? And I would say, what job? And she said, the job with Tony Bennett that God told me you're going to have. And I'm like, no, there is no job. Then one day I got a, a phone call and I picked up the phone. I said, hello. They said, hello, this is uh, Susan, Suzanne from Tony Bennett's office in New York. Uh, we want you to come down immediately. I'm like, what? Um, <laughs> so suffice to say, well, I can't come immediately, but I'll come tomorrow. And uh, then later that day when my mother-in-law called me, she said, so have you got the job yet? And I had to say, well, yes, actually. <laughs> I have got it. Anyway. Wow. So um, I went down uh, to, uh, to meet. Tony was in the middle of uh, an engagement at uh, the Blue Note. It was the 10th anniversary of the Blue Note. Mm. It was uh, the Friday I went in. They'd been there since the Wednesday. And... Um, I didn't meet them before the show. I only met Tony. I went to introduce myself as the new guy to Tony uh, in the intermission. And um, I received the best advice that I ever received in the business. Mm. Tony, I, I walked into the dressing room in the intermission and I said, Mr. Bennett, my name is Vance Anderson. I'm the new guy. And he said to me, call me Tony. He said, make it look effortless. Wow. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I can, okay, fine. And that was it. That was his premise to me. Make it look effortless. And that's what we did. And that was the start of 20 years of tour managing him. Wow. That's amazing. That's Fantastic. a good story. I don't have anything like that. I only in contact with Tony Betty. I used to stay at the Warwick Hotel. Uh -huh. And we'd go across to Astro's, across <laughs> the street. And that yes. was apparently one of his favorite restaurants, I think. Absolutely. Is that true? Yeah, corner of 50. Yeah, 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 that one, yeah. He lived in the apartment building above the Astro. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was told. Yeah. I never met him there, I'm just saying. Yeah, no, no, he yeah. did. That's, uh, that's where he That's lived. an amazing story. How did she know? Oh, well, I guess that's the whole thing, isn't it? She spoke to God. Oh, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't. I, she wow. prayed and God told her. I mean, my mother-in-law was a very uh, unusual woman. Out of the blue. That's an amazing story. I have nothing like that. Not yes. many people do, Ron. <laughs> but so how did you, how did you, Ron, come to uh, work for me and, and work with uh, Mr. Chick Corea? Well, I knew... I'd met Chick in England when he was playing at the uh, Ronnie Scott's. I guess it was with the band with Joe Farrell and Flora and Ieto uh, mm. and Stanley Clark. Great band. Mm. I went up three nights in a row because I just loved the music. And then, so I sort of got to meet him. But, but Neville Potter, the lyricist, actually 
was married to Leslie Wynn. Well, I don't know if they were married, but they were together. And he living in New, he moved to New York, Neville did. And Neville and I were friends for I don't know, 20 years prior to that. And he was working with Chick. Leslie was kind of the manager and Neville was the finance guy. And they were working together for quite a while. I would I moved to America in 74. Mm-hmm. I flew into LA. Um, and then I had no money, no, I, I was broke. I took a trombone and a horrible suit and lived in LA and slept on a garage floor in Alita. Wow. Uh, uh, out in the valley. And then I was broke. And I was in Denny's one day with the percussionist from the band, Les Carter. And I thought, you know, let me give Neville a call. So I called him and says, Neville, they're going to send me home soon unless I find a job or something. Or get a new suit at least. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. New (laughs) suit. This suit was so bad, Vance. It was Burton's. I bought it at Burton's. I work for Burton's. (laughs) Anyway. It shone green one way and red the other. Wow. It was so bad. Anyway, it was a special. It was a special, yeah. No, yeah, it wasn't really red, red. It was a dark maroon. Anyway, so I got on the phone with Neville. I had one dime, and I got this phone call, and I said, Neville, I'm, I'm desperate. So he called me back. We were in a Denny's, and he called me back, and he said, oh, what a shame. I just gave the tour manager job to a guy called David Weiss or Danny Weiss, I forget, who was Nat Weiss's son. Nat Weiss was a lawyer for the Beatles uh, back in the day. Anyway, he says, we just gave the job away. So I said, oh, crikey. So a week later, I got a call from Neville saying, we just fired Danny because (laughs) he was doing drugs and Chick doesn't want any drugs around Uh the band, blah, blah, blah. So he said, are you interested? So they flew out. To LA and Leslie did. Leslie Wynn Potter, her name was, and and she's still alive and and, and Neville. They flew out to LA. We went to see what, Rollerball at the Cinerama Dome because <laughs> she wanted to see it. We went to Musso Franks and we got on great. And they offered me the job. So then about a week later, I flew to New York with my green suit, green red suit, and started being the tour manager. I had six weeks to put the tour together. Wow. Which is not long, you know. You know long. what I'm talking about. Yeah. And the first date we played was uh, we opened to Blood, Sweat, and Tears at the Westchester Theatre, Frank Sinatra's, <laughs> Frank Sinatra's Mafia place, whatever. Wow. And uh, the rule was you never took a check, right? Right. In those right. days, anyway. And the bloody man- manager of I forget his name actually, the manager of Blood, Sweat, and Tears gave me a check. $5,000 half time, he gave me a check. I'm in trouble now because I got a check. No cash. Yeah. I drive everybody home. We drive from Westchester. We got this big Chevy in parlor. We drove the four guys and me in the Chevy. I take everybody home. I go back to the office on Long Island. And I say, Neville, I got a check. He says, okay, you're going to get up in the morning. You're going to drive into the city. It was a long way. Uh, we lived down up in Huntington. And I... And you're going to go to the bank, the Blood, Sweat, and Tears Bank, and you're going to cash the check. So that's what I did. And I cashed it. <gasps> yeah. And I didn't have to, If I hadn't cashed it, I'd have ended up owing the $5,000. Yeah. That was my first lesson as a tour manager. <laughs> uh, good lesson. Man. Good lesson. <laughs> yeah, it was a good lesson. Yeah. Yeah, I learned that early. So so then I was the tour manager with Chick. That, 
So I did that for a couple of years until the band broke up. Chick fired everybody and the band broke up. And, uh, and then we moved to Los Angeles and I became like, you know, the difference. I wasn't a manager manager. I was the executive director of his organization. Mm. I got paid a salary, right? So real managers get a percentage. I, I didn't ever get a percentage. Mm-hmm. Then he fired me. He brought in some other guy that he thought was Stella who ended up ripping him off. And then mm. two years later, he came to me and said, look, will you manage me? And I said, yeah, if you give me a percentage, I'll manage you. So he did. And that started it off. That was 1978, 79. Wow. And there we go. Yeah, I was a manager then. Nice. Until he fired me in, nine, in 2001. The year of 9-11, he fired me. <laughs> See, the first guy to go, it's like soccer. The first guy to go is the manager, right? Yeah. 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 Now, tell me why, why be... that is. Tell me why that is. I, I don't you know. know. I, in the Newcastle, Bruce just got fired, didn't he? The Newcastle manager. Right. Yeah. They always fire the manager first. They look for a scapegoat. And it's not, you know, it's not the manager per se. It's... Just that figurehead. Yes, that's you know, right. They just want to find some scapegoat, and uh, you know, and so yeah. Is it like the sports? The Tony like sports organization. We fly the piano players. That's yes. What we <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in, when I got fired in two thousand one, the whole record industry was collapsing. I mean, literally, we weren't selling CDs anymore. No. You know, instead of selling two hundred thousand CDs or three hundred, four hundred thousand, we were selling fifty. Mm. The industry was just collapsing. Yeah. Uh, CD sales were going out the bottom. It was a bad time. So they fired the manager. <laughs> I, remember this, I remember this little story that Tony told me about Duke Ellington. Um, you know, one day, Tony sees Duke, and they were, they were great friends. They were great friends. And so one day he sees uh, Duke, and Duke's in this beautiful, very fancy satin uh, jacket and everything, and... And um, he'd just come back from the record company. He said, well, you dress so beautifully. Just come back from the record company. He goes, yeah, yeah, baby, I had to go to the record company. So what do they say? He said, uh, Mr. Ellington, you're not selling records anymore. And he said, hang on a second. I make the records. You're supposed to be selling them. <laughs> and that nothing's changed, man. It's the same, the same stuff, you know. Wow. Now it's crazy. Now, you know, now we stream everything. Uh, people hear music for nothing and uh, music get paid for nothing. And uh, it's very difficult. But I love the fact that um, there is a way. There is a way forward. Yeah. You know, you there's always a way. You can't do what we used to do. No. You know? no. All the, you know, the end caps and everything you needed to get sell CDs or records or albums. Yeah, it, it don't exist anymore. No, it doesn't. No. And but so we got to change our mentality. We got to. You have to get on certain playlists, right? Yeah. 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 It's a it's game. A whole different game. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A different game. And there are people who are brilliant at that game. And my uh, position as a manager, and and yours, I'm sure, would be too, is to find the people who know about that stuff and employ yeah. them. You know. Find I'm the not that. I don't know. I find myself hard to catch up. You know. I mean, yeah. I, all I'm doing really is more live gigs because that's the only place we make any money. Right. Yeah. That's you can't right. rely on any CD sales or anything. No. No. One of you guys do me a it's favor. Also, it's also very difficult to break a new act. 
I find anyway. Yeah. You you guys are you guys are are giving me like questions like wow, you know, I'm like bursting at the seams because uh first of all, let's just take the last thing that you said, Ron. You know, why why is it in this environment uh so hard to break a new act? What you know Well you don't I mean where do you start with that answering that question? Usually, the old days, a guy would go out and he'd play at the Troubadour or play here and there, and, and he'd start to build an audience and a fan base, and, he, and they'd go and buy the record. Now, it's sort of like there's no avenue. Yeah, radio doesn't make any difference to a live gig. I don't know what you think, Vance, but it doesn't seem to make any difference at all. If you no, can. and especially if it's not iHeartRadio. I mean, iHeartRadio right. owns, owns everything, and if you're not in their, their yeah. format, you know, you know exactly. Yeah. So it's so that step from being an artist who likes to perform to yeah. in getting gigs is like it's a chasm. I find. It. Yeah. I mean, you can do the standard thing like I have Kyle Eastwood, and we play the Blue Note, and we play you know Catalinas and all these clubs and everything. Yeah. But it's very, very difficult to break a new act, you know. Yeah. What was your secret? No- I'm sorry. What What was your secret then? Um, when you know, so Czech Czech Korea was relatively, you know, um, famous. You know, when you you met him in England, you know, he was already a big name and whatnot. Well, you know, but how did great, you expand him when you came? He was to well California? known. He was well known as a player, I but see. he wasn't famous. I see. I mean. Yeah, he could play Roddy Scott's because he's such a brilliant player. Mm-hmm. But to get him from that to selling out the Beacon three nights in a row is a long road, you know. But but we the band was so brilliant, mm-hmm. brilliant. It's like it's like that. You know, you worked with Paco and Al Miller and John McLaughlin. Yeah, that band was totally musically brilliant. Correct, Ben? It's amazing. Yeah, you couldn't you couldn't you couldn't help but book that band. Right. Yeah. Yeah. right, and they sold records. Sold records, yeah. And um, when they were first together, because um, the first trio was uh, John Paco and Larry Coriel. Oh, right, mm. Larry was. For some reason, I'm never, I'm never quite sure why, but Larry didn't didn't uh, so rejoin true. when they put it together, and they brought Al in, and this was, you know, uh, Barry Marshall's concept. Marshall. Yeah, 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 and. Um, they brought Al in, and uh, they were. I mean, they were the three uh, guitar players at the top of their field. John, you know, yeah. the monster jazzer, Paco, the flamenco god, yeah. and Al, a very clever um, young jazz player. I mean, a, yeah. you know, very, very uh, high caliber. Right. Very different, though. John was at this spiritual thing. You know, it was a gift, almost like a gift from God. And Paco was the same, too. It was something that was inherent in them. Mm-hmm. And I'll say this uh, live. Al, a brilliant guitar player, but he didn't quite have that same quality. And that's probably what made it more in- exciting and more interesting. It is, yeah. Um, you know, it, it brought another whole different element in. And uh, when the three of them were going at it together... It was amazing. The thing right. about that was we would spend all day together. Right. We'd have breakfast. We'd get in the car. We'd drive for two, three, four hours to the next gig. They'd go and have lunch. They'd come and do sound check. By the time they hit the stage, 
Yeah. You knew all the shit that had gone down during the day, who had beat <laughs> this person at cards and who had said this to that person, and you knew they were going to get each other back on stage. And yeah. man, they, were, they were insane, electric, yeah. fire. You know, Jerry, I just had a I just had a thought about something, about a question for myself. I wonder how much it's to do with the artists and the musicians these mm. days, because the music has changed so radically. You know, the rap concept and everything. There's very little music in a rap song. Sure. I mean, there is, but there isn't. And there is. And there's Taylor Swift and Beyonce and there's some big acts. Yeah. But I wonder how much it's to do with the quality of the musician. Because what I'm talking about and what Vance was just talking about, those three guys together were magic. Yeah. The four guys we Return to Forever were magic. Weather Report, amazing bands, amazing yeah. music. Tony Bennett. How yeah. amazing can you be? But Tony Bennett. Sure. You know. So how good were these bands? You know, Duke Ellington. What a composer yeah. he was. I wonder how much it's to do with that while we're having difficulty breaking new acts. In other words, you got the smooth jazz guys, you know, how many more saxophone players can you listen to? Dave mm -hmm. Cars and all those guys. True. But but who's doing something different? Who's doing something new? Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I wonder I'll if that's doing problem. something very exciting and that's Snarky Puppy. Yes, no, I was they're very good. Yeah. Puppy, yeah, I like Snarky Puppy. If I yeah. was still yeah. mixing sound, that's the band I would like to mix. Right. Yeah, that's a right. good good point. Yeah. But how many Snarky Puppies are there? Oh, there isn't a Snarky no, Puppy. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's right. I did go to the Clearwater Jazz Festival a couple of weeks ago, and uh, and Chicarelli, the guitarist, was with Eric Marenthal, Lau Tizer, Karen Briggs. She's amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, Joe Rosenblatt on drums. That was a great band. Yeah. But, I mean, that was an all-star special effects band, they call right. it. But it was uh, the rest of it was like the rest of the festival for me was totally boring. Yeah. Uh, I didn't hear anything musically, but Snarky Puppy were on Sunday. Unfortunately, I couldn't get tickets, but that was a great show I heard. Yeah. 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 Well, the, the thing about us, Ron, is that, you know, we've been blessed to work with really the highest. The best musicians in the world. And snobby here, but the, the highest musicianship there Absolutely. is. Absolutely. You know, so so to, to work with anything less than that is, yeah. is uh, you know, for us, it's, it's, it's cool. very yeah. difficult. Yeah, it's very difficult, yeah. Yeah, it's true. That right? thing, you know, that thing that just blows your mind, you know, that thing when you hear Oscar Peterson playing. Yeah. Paralyzed with one hand, just able to play with one hand to blow your mind. You know? Yeah. Every night I would get to listen to Return to Forever. Every That's night. Yeah. Like day after day after day, it was just absolutely brilliant, you know. Yeah. So I mean, they wouldn't have had to pay me. I'd have still been there. <laughs> Well, no, seriously. Let me ask this question then to, to Vans and how, how is it then that you broke the well pennies? I mean, what was uh what were you looking for? Were you looking for a new act or did they find the you? Well, pennies? well, the well pennies, uh Ron, I'll tell you, are a young folk pop duo. Oh husband okay. and wife duo that I manage. Okay. And uh I've known Brian, the husband, you know, since he was four because he's the son of a good friend of mine. Mm -hmm. The thing was that uh, I worked for Tony for 20 years, but I got sick. I got a deadly blood disease Ooh. and um, almost, you know, croaked and yeah. uh, had to have a stem cell transplant and all of that. And so 
it took me two years to learn to walk again and everything after that. So I lost my gig with Tony because of the illness. They looked after me for a year and a half. I'm very thankful for that. And um, But I couldn't get well enough quick enough. And they right. had to move on. So uh, I got sick in 2000. Oh, I got the operation in 2011. 2013, they called me to tell me, sorry, man, you know, we've got to move on. Yeah. Same week they called me, Brian called me and said, listen, you know, because he had met this girl and they got married and one thing or another. And I would meet them as we went around. They would send me demos and stuff. So now Brian called me and said, listen, Sarah and I want to take it to the next level. We're, we're looking for management. Can you vet these two management companies? And I said, you know what? I'd like to manage you myself. And I never managed anybody. I mean, I tour managed everybody, but I never managed anybody. Right. So, but what I saw in Brian and Sarah is this. I mean, they're so creative on every level, mm. so full of life, not jaded or, or you know, so uh, desirous to let their gift and their talent come to the fore. And I didn't want them. I said, you know what? I, I've had a lot of experience. Maybe I can steer them around some of the pitfalls. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I took them on. You know, what else was I going to do? I couldn't tour anymore. I didn't have the stamina anymore to tour like I used to, 20 hours a day, seven days a week for 20 years. I, I can't do that anymore. No, right. And so that's why I took them on because of so, their... well, that was 2013. That was 2013. Yeah. So, so they... how, did you, how did you break them? How did you? I haven't broken them. I'm still breaking them. <laughs> <laughs> But they're, doing, they're doing well, right? They are doing well. It's just, uh, it's been just solid work. Just, uh, they they moved, for, they met in Massachusetts, where Brian's from, at an open mic night. Fell in love, ran away to L.A., spent seven years in L.A. doing this and that, one thing and another. And, um, and uh, we had no money. They asked me to manage them, and I, they said, well, what, what can we do? You know, we did the the stupid little LA dates that, that you do, you know, and I say that uh, because it, it's very cliquey, you, you know, in LA. If yeah. you listen, this kind of music, you go here, that kind of right. music, you go there. I lived there for 30 years. Yeah, exactly. So we played all those little folky, uh, poppy venues. But they were like, what can we do? What can we do? And I said, well, what you can do that costs us no money is right. You know, just write, write, write. And, and they embarked on writing. And then after a while, they decided to move back to Des Moines, Iowa, where Sarah is from, because it was just so expensive in L.A. And they were getting nowhere. They were living in a, a little apartment in, uh, in some area. And it just, you know, it was enough. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They moved back to Des Moines. They bought a house. Brian completely refurbished it because he's that kind of guy. He built this studio in the basement we call Golden Bear Studio which is a phenomenal little studio. And uh, we just started, you know, building. It, it was a vehicle for us. And uh, we started licensing mm. our music, little by little. And uh, the studio started working, and Brian started getting his chops together as a producer and an engineer. And now, here we are, uh, whatever the year it is, 2021, and uh, the studio has become a really uh, very solid place for musicians in the Midwest. Brian did seven albums of seven other artists this year. Wow. And, um, we've got three or four different Wellpenny projects on, and, and everything is really growing and building. No money, 
we got we're broke as anything, but um, but we're established. But that's you know, interesting. You know, that's interesting because I I work with Kyle Eastwood. We started working together in two thousand and one, and we did a deal where he used to pay. I was working with a guy called Steve Chapman at the time, and he paid us like I think it was two thousand a month. He had the money, paid us two thousand a month to manage him, until we could get the income above the commission. If you follow right. me, right. right? Okay. And you know, really, when I look at it, all we've done with him, really, since two thousand one, is we've just done gig after gig after gig. Right. Now in France, uh, he can pull fees of like. I shouldn't say, but they're very substantial fees, right, like right. good money. And right. it took 20 years. And now all we did was just keep playing. We made records. He did a couple of movies for his dad, you know, which helps a lot because of the exposure of him as an artist. Right. And, and now we've built a base in France, which is amazing. We yeah. just got to do 23 dates in France now. But I, I think the only thing we did is what you said. You just kept. I mean, we didn't do anything. He had no hits. There were no, like, sp right. special song or anything. Maybe Gran Torino, which Jamie Collum sang on the movie uh, right. Gran Torino with, with Clint. Yeah. That helped a little. But, I mean, it's not a hit. You know what I mean? Right. But 20 years later, we've, he's got a career. It, it, and a really... All we did was what you did with the guys. You, you just keep doing it, right? Keep writing, keep playing. Here we are, eight years later. Yeah. And uh, but what we've built is a solid foundation. Exactly. You know, that we've got a studio which is phenomenal. We've got a studio that, that all these musicians from all over love to come and work at. You know, and we've got our record label, which is called Golden Bear Records, which is really a vehicle for the well pennies just to put stuff out. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, you're and selling so, me physical CDs. Do you sell physical CDs? Yeah, we do, yeah. Yeah. Not a lot, though, right? No, not a lot. But our audience, our audience is kind of like uh, 30 to 80-year-olds. Yeah. You know, uh, because they're very appealing to the whole. They're like. They're I've like got to listen. If you like, you know. So you play folk clubs and stuff. Where no. do you. No. no. Where do you play? We, uh, we've been doing a lot of. Uh, of house concerts. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I heard about that. Yeah. Fantastic. You know, yeah. you, you go out, you play, um, you play to 40 people in somebody's house. Mm -hmm. uh, you sell some merch, you know, you can come away with 1500, two grand. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, and it's very intimate. Everybody's very close and you take an intermission, right. you drink some wine, you, you talk. That's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. brilliant. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, but we opened for Diana Kroll at seven of the sheds on the West Coast a few years. Right. Yeah. You know, so they are. Um, Unknown caller. Oh, they right. have the um, no. They have uh, Brian especially has the thing when he hits stage, man. Within fifteen seconds, he has the audience in his hands. It's just the way he is. It's just Good, a thing, yeah. you know. And so yeah, we can play play anything, but. We've been concentrating mostly, especially the pandemic and everything. We've been concentrating mostly on the studio and yeah, yeah, yeah. recording and licensing the music. You know. How did you get the opening to Diane Crawl? That's a pretty good one. Oh, I know Diana, and uh, oh, you, you do, okay. Yeah, because she opened for Tony. Somewhere. Oh, right, that's the connection. I and see. we and yeah. we kept, you know, we kept in good friends and everything. And then um, I um, 
I was talking to her, her daily guy, uh, Daryl, and um, he called me. He said, uh, I need an act. I need an opening act for this shed in, somewhere. I can't even remember where it was, somewhere in the, in the Midwest. Yeah. One night. Can you do it? Because I've been sending him the CDs and telling him what we were doing. I said, yeah, we'll do it. So we, we went out and did it. Mm-hmm. And he loved us so much that they gave us six more. Oh, wow. Because, you know, you got to have the intermission to sell beer in right. the ship. So you want an opening act. Right. So, that, so to, 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 to play when the sky is still bright. Right. And then you want the opening act to finish and go away and then the people to sell the beer and then the main act comes on as it gets dark and the lights can go. So that was fine with, with us, you know, but yeah. she liked us and, and we, we thoroughly enjoyed doing it, you know. That's brilliant. Yeah. That's but, pretty um, brilliant. But you notice you said earlier that he's a really good communicator, Brian, right? He, he, he captures the audience. Yeah, right away. <laughs> That well, there's the quality that gets them across. Yeah, exactly. What is the quality that, uh, for any young musician that makes them attractive to a manager? What what are managers looking for? What should they have? I mean, there is the it factor, but are there other things that they need to have together before they could be considered attractive to a manager? Hmm. Good question. I'm not sure. I'm looking, but. I'm old now, you know, I'm sort of winding down a little bit. I'm 77 years old. I don't, I'm not looking for new acts. Sure. I don't know. But what I mean, I just a manager, a manager in general. I mean, you guys have been in the business so much. So if there's an artist that's just starting out and they say, well, I need a manager, I need a manager. What should they have in place or together before they should even consider that being the next step for them? I always think they need to earn the right to have a manager. They have to develop themselves and the act to a point where they deserve a manager. They earn it. They have to earn it. It's like, you know, Chick put in years and years of work before he got a manager. Mm. Yes. He was already he'd played with Miles. He played with, he was, he was a monster player. He knew every, you know, he could play anything before he got a manager. And then he found a friend. I have a, I did a blog once. I wish I hadn't deleted it. It's called Grow Your Own Manager. Hmm. Find somebody you trust. You know, like that's what happened to me, really. I became Chick's friend and he trusted me and we went ahead and I learned how to do it. I mean, being a tour manager and being a manager, totally different functions. Totally right? different. They're yeah. totally different. Yeah. Being a tour manager is a, you can pretty well do it with anybody, right? Yeah. But managing an act and seeing where they want to go and understanding what they're doing is a whole other game. Whole other thing. Well, can you yeah. can you share some of the technical differences between the two in case there's an artist out there who's wondering? Well, okay, what well, are those differences? I don't know, but for instance, uh, one <laughs> one success I had was that Chick wanted to do classical music, and he was learning Mozart D minor piano concerto month a day after day five hours a day and and we had no outlet for it it wasn't financially feasible to go out with an orchestra you couldn't do that you had to play so i met up with a guy peter gelb sony music he 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 broke the titanic record you know everybody else passed on the the uh soundtrack to titanic not soundtrack what do you call it Everybody yeah. passed on the music mm-hmm. except him. 
and it became a monstrous hit with Celine Dion and everybody, you know. And I met up with him and, and we came up with this idea for Chick and it took us two or three years to put it together, which is not what you do when you're a tour manager. It took three years, but in the end, we ended up at Air Studios in, in London and recording with the London Symphony. And Chick made this fabulous record and away we went. You know what I mean? And then we did concerts around the world and Chick started playing with orchestras. It took three or four years to put that right. together. Whereas a tour manager gets like six weeks to put the whole tour together, you know, you have to, and, and, and you deal. I feel sometimes these days, I feel like a bloody travel agent. All I'm doing is booking flights and airfares and trains and things, you know, you know but you've got to keep the vision going, haven't you? you got to keep yeah, the vision exactly. going. Exactly. A tour manager is really a, uh, like a general. Yes. You, you just got to keep it all together and make it groove. Right, right. You know, but but the booker, whoever's booking it, books it. The management, you know, does yeah. all dealing with the agency and one thing or another. And the tour manager is handed, or or you know, right. handed exactly. the date and put it together. Do all the production, do all the advancing, do all the travel, do all the instrumentation. Make sure everybody's groovy. Make sure everybody gets paid. Blah blah blah. It's just really a formula. You're just following. Yeah. The formula. you follow. I'm like I'm working on something now, like a new project with Kyle. Uh, we're doing with the French agent, who's very, very good guy, Fred Glusman. And we put together this idea. We've got, we're writing uh, scores to all of, uh, a lot of Clint's movies, you know, Good, Badly, Ugly, and all those movies. Yeah. And we're going to put Carl's band with the orchestra, right. starting in Lyon and Paris next October. Yeah. We're going to try and bring Clint over to be there. And uh, and hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll get, a new career for Kyle, which is playing with orchestras. But we've been at it two years already. <laughs> now we got to the point where the guy, we found a great guy to write the scores and everything. But it takes a long time to put it together. Right? Yeah. yeah. But meantime, I had to do 23 dates between now and December 14th mm. and organize all the travel and everything else. So there you go. There so you it's, go. it's a different way of thinking. So then the manager isn't touring with the act. It's only the tour manager and the manager is back at the office handling. Well, you can't afford to tour. That's the problem. If you had, like, we've got a five-piece quintet with Kyle. You had one guy, it becomes, that's one-sixth more the cost. Gotcha. You can't just add somebody to it. Yeah, yeah. They don't have a tour manager. We don't have a sound engineer like the old days. You know, that's why that's why people like me and there's a few of us out there who did everything. We yes. were production managers, tour managers, and we were sound engineers. We were you one. Did it all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I could never mix. I never learned yeah. to mix. Uh, we had Bernie Kirsch. But I mean, basically, I did everything else. Right. Yeah. But Bern, would Bernie travel with you or he would just Bernie traveled in the studio? Us, yeah. Is that right? Yeah, the sound. Yeah. Bernie was also a studio engineer, but. But he he was brilliant. Yeah, he, he he was just absolutely a good sound engineer. Makes I would I would prefer a sound engineer over a tour manager. Yeah, <laughs> a good one. Yeah, yeah. A, bad, a bad sound engineer can really <laughs> screw everything up. Yeah, yeah, it ruins the whole show, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. it does. Bernie yeah. Kirsch was extraordinary. I remember Hollywood Bowl. We did the show at the Hollywood Bowl, and he could get a mix up in about thirty seconds. Hmm. From the start of the show, 30 seconds later, you'd have a workable mix. It's not yeah. perfect, but it worked. Yeah. 
which I couldn't believe how he did that. It was extraordinary. Mm. He's got and ears. He, yeah, great <laughs> ears. And then they, yeah, take you know, another five minutes, they get it in better, right. and they're fine. But it, but to get a mix-up in the Hollywood Bowl in 30 yeah. seconds is yeah. pretty, pretty amazing, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Well, let me ask this, these questions and then we'll, we'll wrap it up, gentlemen. I appreciate your time, but tell me this, what, um, beginning with Ron, what is, you would say, your best experience that just snaps out as either a manager or what you're doing now as a touring manager? Is there one climactic moment that you go, I mean, <laughs> oh my God, you, you did listen to Return to Forever for weeks and weeks at a time, up close Absolutely. and personal, but... Was wow. there something that just like popped out the tent for you? I don't know what to tell you. That that's a long. I <laughs> too started. many of them. Yeah, too many of them. It's true. <laughs> yeah. Give me one. Give us one. Oh, I, I met presidents. I uh, it was fun. I never thought I'd do that. You know, mm. Stevie Wonder watching Stevie Wonder and Chick play together in his garage. That was a moment. Oh my God! <laughs> and Stevie Stevie knew all of Chick's songs. Is that right? He knew them all. Celebrations, we he just played them over. It was a, he's a, he's an extraordinary musician, Steve. He's an extraordinary musician. Yeah, yeah. he knows so much stuff. Yeah, but now I he, love Tony Bennett too. I think the Tony Bennett Gaga thing is amazing. You know, he's amazing. Do you? Yeah. Well, so that's a moment, but there's too many moments in the vans. Yeah. Life. I mean, I could write a book. Yeah. You should a write a book. Should yeah. write a book. We talked about that before, right? Should. Well, the only problem I have with that is that, you, you know, one of the factors of a manager is confidence and confidentiality. Wow. You, don't, you don't discuss the act or what they did or their private lives. And the trouble is we know too much, don't we, Vance? Yeah, we do. <laughs> it, honestly, we know too much. Wow. You know, as a tour manager, as a tour manager, especially with Tony Bennett, you know, I, I, I cared for this person. I was yeah. with this person, you know, 18 hours or 20 hours a day yeah. Uh, yeah. for 20 years. I was his conference. Right. I was his production manager. I was his, you know, all of that. And so right. when you see things like Princess Diana's, you know, personal guy telling stories about how she was and stuff like that, that, that really makes me yeah. very angry. Yeah, but I you can't say you have confidence in the person you don't tell people about them no no that that it's almost like it's the violates the role of a manager Violation, yeah. yeah yeah because you I'll, I'll tell you one really exciting moment it was when we recorded um uh Friday night in San Francisco at the Warfield Theater in San, uh, in San Francisco with uh with the guitar trio um it was my first american tour I'd been two and a half months in Europe with the trio and we'd torn the place up. East, East, East uh, Berlin, East Germany, uh, you know, West, everywhere. And we hit America. My first gig was Carnegie Hall. My second gig was the Hollywood Bowl. Oh. My third gig was the Santa Monica Civic. And then somewhere, like a couple of weeks later, we did the Warfield Theatre and we recorded it. The band right. were hot. They right. were insanely hot. Yes. And I was at the mixing board, which is on the mezzanine level at the Warfield. I was at the mixing board, and I was on, baby. I was on. John had taught me to anticipate the uh, improvising musician. So however, they were, I was ahead of them. Yeah. Bam, you know? Mm -hmm. And on my left, 
was Bill Graham at the mixing board. <laughs> and on my right was Carlos Santana at the mixing board. Oh, my goodness. And I'm at the mixing board, and I'm, my mind is blown. You know, this is like the yeah. most heavenly experience. That was, a, that was a moment. Yeah, yeah. That's a moment. I like Bill Graham. I, I love Bill Graham. I mean, a lot oh, of people didn't like him, but... Oh, I loved him. He was a great guy, wasn't he? Yeah. Him, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he was, uh, he was Barry Marshall's uh, hero. Barry loved Bill. Yeah, yeah. I bet Bill was great. Yeah. But Santana one side and Bill Graham the other. That's at the mix, great. at the board, you know, they're at the board with me. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's a great story. Many moments, so many great, incredible moments. Yeah, yeah, many. That's yeah. the problem, too many. <laughs> yeah. And you can't, you know, you, 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 the artist trusts you. You can't go around writing expose books. I mean, that's terrible. That that's corny. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Well, maybe, I don't know, maybe the book would be, you know, uh, limited in, in what your memoirs are and more in your expertise. And you're uh, a very good editor advice. because uh, when you yeah, start, yeah. when you're writing a book, you flow. Yeah. You yeah. Know, I, I've, I've written a bunch of stuff and everything. I've got notes everywhere. My the title of my book will be The Observations of an Idiot. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> But uh, when you when you tell the story, you flow. You know, you flow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, so it's hard. So the editor comes in and rips it apart, basically. Well, you got to find an editor you trust who knows. Okay. You know. Yeah. But that's that's like anything that we do, everything that we do. It's always best to find people who are empathetic and sympathetic and uh, simpatico, how whatever word you want to use, who have the groove, who can who can uh, be a part of it yeah, because right. uh, because you're looking for team members. You're looking for right. people to uh, to give of themselves, of the same that you give of yourself. Yeah. And, uh, and this is something. So an editor would be that kind of character as well. And they would, you know, they'd get the vibe. Well, that's one of the skills of a good tour manager, isn't it? Or a good manager for them. It's yeah. putting a team together. Yeah. I mean, that's what you got to do. You got to the accountant, the business manager, all these guys. The road crew. Who do yeah. you use? I mean, it's it, it's very critical. You got a bad road crew guy, can yeah, ruin the tour. Okay. Absolutely, yeah. just poison the whole thing. Absolutely. I had to get rid of a few of them myself. Yeah, I fight a few people too. Yeah. But the thing about it is, a tour manager's gig, apart from the logistics, which is extremely boring, uh, you know, all the flights and the hotels oh, and everything, is, is finding the groove. Yes. You know, when you're on a tour, yeah. the first Pat Metheny tour I did was a six-week tour of Europe that got extended by two weeks, that got extended by two weeks, that got extended by two weeks. It was a 12-week tour. Oh, my goodness. And we were insane at the end of it. Lyle yeah. came back uh, Lyle came back uh, to America and checked himself into a rehab right away. I mean, <laughs> it, was, it was nuts. But trying to, trying to keep everybody – because the thing about a tour is it can be a week. Mm-hmm. I always say, okay, let's take a six-week tour. The first week, you're exhausted. You're dragging your ass. You don't even know your, your timing's all gone. Then you get into gig mode. And now you groove through the next four weeks and everything. And then the last week is the worst week. Imagine that then being extended by two weeks. And yeah. again, you know, people were nuts. And so but to Pat, find, find the groove, man. That seems a pretty straight ahead guy i mean he knows where he wants and that right absolutely closest yeah. hotel to the gig doesn't matter if it's the days in or the rich carlton it's the closest hotel to the gig. Yeah, yeah. 
11 days on, one travel day off. I mean, he yeah, worked. Yeah. Work. Yeah. yeah the, I don't like the minutiae that you have to deal with. <laughs> That's my opinion. But, it, but the, Pat seems to be pretty like Lyle was a nice guy, right? Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. good player too. Anyway, and you know he looked so spindly and thin, but he yeah, was yeah, he, he was the most competitive person, the most vicious basketball player you've ever seen in your life. Really? Uh, oh God! You forget about it. He'd kill you. Uh, <laughs> he would play three computer chess games at the same time. You're kidding? No. no so no. I mean, a very unusual, incredible guy, brilliant, brilliant, genius. Yeah, yeah, genius. We lost him. Uh, wow, you work with some great guys, Vance. I mean, yeah, I know. I've been. Very... I had a long stretch with one artist. You've met, met you know, many. Yeah. I have. I have. I've been very blessed. And you've got an English sense of humour. Well, you got to. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't given Jerry a hard time, have we? No. We should. No, no. I've uh, I've done my best to try to stay out of it. You know what I mean? But uh, the way you were talking, it was just like, well, here's a question. Here's a question. It was almost like uh, double dutch trying to jump in and ask. <laughs> well, it's good. It's really good to know you, Ron. And uh, nice to meet you too, man. Uh, hopefully, I wish, uh, I wish we'd known each other earlier. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. At least by five o'clock would have been all right. <laughs> um, <laughs> Now hopefully, hopefully we can uh, we can chat sometime. You Where know. are you living? Where do you live? I live in Miami. Oh, Craggy, just down the road. Down the road, yeah. I'm in Tampa. Yeah, we yeah. just had a storm today that was amazing. Mm. Did it hit you guys? No, it's uh, it's supposed to come through here around two o'clock in the morning. But oh, bloody hell! It was a violent storm. Wow. <laughs> Tornado, mm-hmm. watch everything. Right, I saw that. Yeah. Wow. But well, we're alive. We're alive. Thank God well, for that. I, I hope that you've enjoyed yourself. I've enjoyed myself immensely. We're just getting going. We're just getting going here. Yeah, we just started. What's the next hour going to be? <laughs> Which, well, do you support? Who do you support? Who's your team in England? Well, I'm man you, really. I'm sorry to say. Yeah. Well, that's okay. Okay. <laughs> Nobody knows what I'm talking about, do they? No, Man U, you have to be Man U since the disaster, you know, yeah. it, it was always Man U. Yeah, but last week we got killed. I mean, Liverpool. Well, we, um, and, of course, I have Liverpudlian friends and I love Liverpool. And so, you know, what can I tell you? Oh, you're Brighton and Hove Albion, right? Well, <laughs> no. I was always a Tottenham Hotspur guy. You know? Oh, you like Spurs? I love Michael Caine, Sam. They're great players. Yeah, they are great. But I'm married to a Brazilian, so, you know. Yeah, what do you do about that? Who's she support? I cheer for Brazil, man. I, I yeah. put a Brazilian shirt on, I cheer for Brazil. You know? Do you really? <laughs> <laughs> That's My funny. Word. My Sorry word. Well, that. that was about soccer, by the way. You call it soccer, Jerry. Yeah, yeah, I call it soccer. Yeah. Soccer, yeah. And it's become very popular in America now, thank God. Yeah, really? Yeah. It took a while. It took a while, yeah. Yeah. So well, Gary, you to, you're going to need to shut us down, right? I I, um, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I mean, you guys are still throwing the football and calling it football. Yeah, I know. Yeah, right. Weird. Very How weird. How can you say it's football when you throw it? I mean, well, I've lived here for 35 years. I don't get it. I just don't. Get it. <laughs> well, this is the entree musician. <laughs> That's oh, yeah. Ron right. Moss.
That's Vance Anderson, two of my maybe, heroes for sure. Maybe part of our success, Vance, is we have a sense of humor because you're going to have, you're gonna have one when you're out there, haven't you? That's true. Yeah, you got to laugh. You got to find the groove. That is true. Well, you can you can look at Vance up. You can you can Google both of these guys and you can get into some of the hallmarks. I guess the book is now the observations of an idiot should be coming out hopefully <laughs> shortly. <laughs> you know? And then we're waiting for Ron to uh, find an editor. But uh, great guys, <laughs> great memories. And this is really the soundtrack of our lives. When you think about Pat Metheny or Lyle Mays, when you think about Tony Bennett, when you think about Chick Corea or Stanley Clark or Erto, or, I mean, you know, Carlos Santana standing to Damn. the left of Vance. I mean, this, this is life. That's as, as know it. Can I jump in here? For sure, a moment? Sure. I wanted I'll, I'll never end say. the broadcast, but go for it. I wanted to say before, uh, when you said, what is a manager looking for in an artist? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you never answered. Go ahead. No, because first and foremost, you want somebody who's ultra-talented, who's got a gift. That's the first thing. The right. second thing is I would always look for commitment. You know, Tony Bennett uh, knew what it took to be a great artist, and he was very gifted, and he had the gift and the voice and all of that, but he knew what it took to do all the interviews, to turn up at everything, to sing at six o'clock in the morning, on the, you know, all of that. And um, that's what it takes. Commitment, if someone yeah. wants to be successful in this business, you've got to work your ass off. There's no uh, way around it. No shortcut. No, no shortcut. That's and like Ron said, it takes years, you know, to, to make something come together. It's taken me eight years to get the well pennies where they are now. Not me, but us to get sure. get ourselves where we are now it takes you know 20 years to get something else together but it, it takes time it takes yeah. effort and if you're willing to put the time and effort and you have the gift then that's your i'm looking for you there's no such thing as an overnight success that's for sure no <laughs> now you're right about that no it's yeah. none none whatsoever yeah so any any final words ron any yeah any goodbye bye bye yeah goodbye <laughs> <laughs> I trust you appreciated this wonderful conversation and that you have personally gained some keen insight. If you happen to be a musician who's looking for a manager or conversely, if you're a manager just starting out and you're looking for your first artist to take on as clients, please know through the Entree Musician, you can reach out to both of these men. All you have to do is email us at theentremusician at gmail.com. That's our general email address. And we'll make sure that uh, both Ron and Vance gets back to you as soon as their schedule allows. Again, this was an encore presentation of The Entree Musician. Go back, as I said before, and watch the original individual interviews with each one of them to gain more insight on their extraordinary lives and career. And as always, we ask you to come on and join us at The Entree Musician yourself. Go to the website. We want you to like and subscribe to this channel, share this channel with others who will benefit from the incredible conversations that we continue to have here. It's always a pleasure to join you. My name is Jerry B. I am the Entree Musician, and so are you. We will see you again next time. God bless.